Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's uh, podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings state leaders to you, and I hope you all feel free to join in. My name is Ray Pinney. I'll be your host this morning. Uh, today, you will not only be taking your calls, we'll be taking your calls like we normally do, but we also have a chat room open. I think this will give you two vehicles in which to part- will give you an opportunity to participate in the show. Uh, Jennifer will be taking the calls and monitoring the chat room. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904, and when you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1, and that will indicate on our switchboard that you're ready to ask a question, and Jennifer will uh, get your name and question or topic. Um, also, if you're on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you're just listening on the computer, we do not we do have, the, as I said, the chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat, chat room and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions on to our speaker. Uh, to log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. School districts in New Jersey are sometimes under conflicting pressures, uh, one to make sure their spending is uh, frugal, and the other is to have student achievement and increase student achievement. Uh, and one of the issues that school districts really have to grapple with is special education. They really want to provide the best education to all students, but they also have financial constraints. Um, one of the, and New Jersey School Board Association formed a task force to look at special education, to look at best practices, uh, to look at the financing of it. Uh, and today, uh, this morning we will have members of that task force as well as the chair uh, to uh, discuss the recommendations of the task force. Uh, first, we have Jerry, Dr. Jerry Vernotica, who is the chair. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you for having me, Ray. Uh, also with us is... Um, Irene LaFay, who is a board member in uh, the town of Boonton. Welcome, Irene. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, also, we have with us uh, Dr. Michael Lee. Hello, Ray. Thank you. Uh, and also, uh, uh, he wasn't advertised, but we have John Burns from our legal department, who is a staff member to this um, task force. It's a pleasure to join you, Ray. All right, uh, Jerry. I'm going to start with uh, Jerry. I'm going to start with you. Uh, what was the t- charge of the task force? Right. The charge of the task force was pretty clear. Uh, it was to basically look at and review the current process for funding and providing special ed services, what other states were doing, 
uh, the different methodologies of financing and delivering special ed, and then to look at some cost-saving or cost-efficient strategies uh, that may be helpful, uh, in addition to also exploring alternative methods of funding, of which we had a survey. Uh, as a result of the study, at its completion, uh, we were to make recommended additions or changes to state and federal statute or, and or regulation uh, with the goal of uh, looking at the containment of costs, but more or less improving the quality of, of services in special education. So the process, I mean, the charge is really to look at best practices, uh, ways of improving our education, but also being more efficient with that. Correct. It was it, the focus was on on uh, cost efficiencies, spending, and special ed programs. You know what is what is happening, uh, what has happened since the original 2007 commission study on financing special ed in New Jersey. You know, so the original focus that we all took was on funding mechanisms, and then what can be done in order to improve uh, the different ways of looking at how we fund special education, but more so uh, looking at uh, outcomes. Uh, that's the way it turned out, Ray. Uh, our original focus was on inputs, but uh, through the year-plus research, we decided that outcomes uh, are the way to go. Okay, and also, um, what was the process? You mentioned the survey. Did you interview – who did you bring in to discuss special ed? Well, the, the task force met from January 2013, and I believe it was about 13, 14, four, uh, 13 or 14 times. It concluded uh, its project in March of 2014. Uh, during the deliberation of the task force, we consulted with national – and state special education experts, uh, personnel from the New Jersey Department of Education, special ed advocates, le uh, legal uh, people, practitioners, academics. Uh, was, it was a nice mix uh, from uh, things like uh, Dr. Lauren Katzman, who's the assistant to the superintendent in the Newark Public Schools, Judy Savage from the New Jersey Council of, of County Vocational and Technical Schools, uh, Peggy McDonald from the department, John Worthington, uh, a few superintendents who are doing best practices within the state of New Jersey. Uh, the, uh, uh, Dr. Bruce Baker, the professor at Rutgers University who is uh, an expert in funding, uh, and uh, I also reached out to Steve Corman, a statistician with the National Center for Education Statistics. These are just a few. As a Dr. Tom Parrish, who is the director for the Center of Special Education Finance, and uh, others around the state uh, and out of the state, uh, one uh, prominent person uh, in this field as far as cost efficiencies and cost effectiveness, uh, who is also quoted in the study, is Nat Nathan Levinson, the Managing Director of the District Management uh, Council. On top of that, other than the surveys, which John could speak to, we also had various focus groups consisting of county supervisors, the child study team directors, and we talked to teachers, talked to anyone we could as far as, you know, their perception and in, in the practices and the strategies utilized to improve special education. And the members of the task force, I, I, you know, uh, I'll introduce uh, Michael and uh, Irene again, but it was comprised of board members, 
yourself, and a, a couple school administrators, right? Yes, correct. Correct. And uh, you have been a, a school superintendent. Uh, well, just tell us briefly your background. Cause I know it's yeah, my background, long. well, it's been 45 years in education in the state of New Jersey. Uh, teacher, administrator, principal, supervisor. Uh, I was superintendent in a number of districts of New Jersey, uh, one of the first uh, state-appointed executive county superintendents. And uh, I also served some time as the assistant commissioner of field services with the Department of Education. Uh, and most recently, uh, the... Uh, I uh, am an, uh, an associate professor with Montclair State University in their ed leadership department. And now okay. back as interim executive county superintendent for Hunterton and Somerset. Okay, so you're a busy guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael uh, and Irene, um, let me start with you, Michael. Michael, you're not only a board member in Burlington County, but you're also, you've worked in the field of uh, special education, correct? Yes, I have, Rex. And before you go on, let me just correct you. I was so happy to hear you call me doctor. I'm still a week away, though. Oh, so, okay. So it's not official till next week. So anybody listening, I'm, I'm not using the title doctor just yet. But okay, yesterday, okay. I've been a board member in the Tabernacle Township School District since 2008. Uh, I'm currently certified as a certified board leader. But I've also worked in the field of special education for the past 25 years in the New York school system and also in New Jersey. I've been a school psychologist. I'm an educator at heart, but I've been a school psychologist, a supervisor, and a director of student services. Okay. Uh, and Irene, I know you're in Booton in uh, Morris County, uh, and you also work in the field of special ed as well as be, being a board member. Right. So I, I've been a board member for 21 years, but I first got interested in special education as a parent because I had special needs kids of my own. Um, but I do work with the um, Educational Services Commission of Passaic County, and as a, in that area, we operate um, special education and alternative education schools. And um, so I've been working in the field with special educators um, for a number of years. Okay. Uh, you talked about the process, and one of the things in the process, Jerry, and I'll, I'll go to John Burns, who's our staff member, uh, there was a survey used. Uh, could you explain what the survey was and very briefly some of the what you learned from that survey? Certainly. Um, the uh, task force engaged in a survey um, on, on various questions, um, but mostly focused on things such as shared services and those uh, needs and observations of um, administrators and, and board members in the field. Um, and it all relates back to back in 2007, NJSBA uh, conducted a survey then related to a 2007 study that we did with regard to special ed. And we uh, looked at that and used that um, as a reference point for this uh, new survey that we did. And uh, the survey came up with uh, some interesting observations. Um, and these were things such as um, what what is the... Um, what, are, what changes could we have in law regulation to assist uh, school districts uh, in their mission to provide um, quality special education services? And when we asked that question, 38% um, of the responding districts um, said that uh, the adjudication process um, really needs to be looked at. And uh, placing the burden of proof um, uh, back on the party bringing the complaint 
um, was uh, cited frequently as one of the issues that could um, help uh, with regard to streamlining the adjudication process. Um, and then the survey also asked about things uh, such as shared services and um, how many districts were involved in shared services. And uh, the survey found an overwhelming majority of um, districts participate in some sort of shared service program, whether uh, uh, it has to do with um, transportation, professional development, um, or other kinds of things like that. Um, and along with this, uh, one of the things that uh, came out of it was um, that very frequently out-of-district placements are also another cost driver with regard to um, special ed and trying to um, uh, provide efficient services for um, those with special needs. Okay. Um, Michael and uh, Irene, your board members, why is special ed an important issue? Well, I think, well, I, this is Irene, I think that one of the reasons special education is an important issue for board members is that we see, as a board member, we see costs, and we don't always know why those costs are um, taking up such a major portion of our budget. And that's why one of the recommendations of the task force is that board members need better education as to their responsibilities in, edu in the field of special education as to be supportive of the administrators and the programs in the district, but also that board members need to know what special education, why it exists, and, and more about um, the processes involved so that they can be much more um, knowledgeable when they sit there to make decisions. But from the perspective of a board member, your first goal is to make sure that every child in your district receives an appropriate education. And certainly the board members want to see the special needs children get the services that they that they need, and they want to see all the children supported um, in the process of being educated. So the task force findings are very, very relevant to board members. Okay, Michael, and, you have anything uh, to add Ray, to that? Ray, I can jump in and agree wholeheartedly with what Irene said. And I'm just going to quote you know, our code of ethics for school board members. I will carry out my responsibilities not to administer the schools, but together with my fellow board members to see that they are run well or that they're well run. Um, and Irene also added funding. I know Jerry mentioned it earlier. Um, you, you never can make a room more uncomfortable than when you say learning and spending in the same conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and what I've found in being on my board for six years is that special education is not only understudied, but it's also challenging, it's complicated, and most board members get lost in the, the confidentiality of it. So in addition to board members being better educated on the legal aspects of it, they also need to be better educated on the, the measurement of progress. Because again, we in special ed, and I've worked in the field for 25 years, we often talk in terms of compliance and input. You know, we give more money to this, we put more staffing to this, and we put more programs to this. But we very often don't look at output. What are we getting for these services? How are our students improving? And, and quite coincidentally, um, it's, it's an understudied area, and, and board members need to be better educated to ask those questions. Uh, and uh, Irene mentioned it, and you also uh, mentioned it, that one of the recommendations of the task force, which is actually I think it might be, if it's not the last one, it's towards the end, uh, oh. is that 
boards of education need to be um, educated. Board members and part of their training should be uh, educated about special education. John, my understanding is that New Jersey School Board Association is already um, working on that. Is that correct? Uh, that, that is correct. Um, we'll be developing a, um, a, a training module um, that will uh, assist uh, school board members in understanding um, the uh, basics of uh, special ed and um, what they need to do to have um, uh, a successful program. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, since we started on the the recommendations, and I will add to that that we have had uh, New Jersey School Board Association has had various programs on special ed already, but I think that with this recommendation, it's going to be a little bit more formalized in the mandatory training and also through the course of the year. Uh, Jerry, uh, I was going through the recommendations, uh, and one of the first things that you talk about, uh, and it's more educational, is um, early intervention and early action. Mm-hmm. Could you explain, yeah. and one of the things you talk about is RTI, which we love our acronyms, Response to Intervention. Yes. Could you explain yes. uh, what the committee found in that area, the task force? Yes. Uh, yeah, let me, let me just back up one second here on that, Ray, and then I'll lead into that. Um, Basically, uh, our findings, as Michael suggested and Irene suggested, basically were uh, looking at outcomes and outputs. What is it that we can do to improve academic outcomes of all students? And interestingly, we found that the way to reduce special ed costs and the way to improve outcomes for all students is to improve general education. Mm-hmm. And some of the, uh, the uh, identified themes and practices that improved academic outcomes are pretty consistent with the body of work on effective schools since the 1980s, uh, with an emphasis on response to intervention and also on inclusive practices, differentiated supervision. Uh, Huberman, Navo, and Parrish in 2011 identified major themes. Uh, one of which was inclusion and access to the core curriculum, the greater collaboration between special ed and general ed teachers, and as as we said, the continuous assessment and use of responding to different scientifically-based interventions, and then in certain cases, direct instruction. Uh, So uh, one of the things that has been found to be highly effective, uh, we're looking at early intervention, uh, preschool early intervention, not just response to intervention, uh, that students uh, who uh, are in the preschool programs in the state of New Jersey and throughout the country uh, do better, have, have better outcomes. Response to intervention uh, is a multi-tiered approach to early identification and support of all students that have learning and or behavior needs. And it begins with high-quality instruction and a, a, what is called universal screening of all children in general ed. So what we're able to do is identify struggling learners, provide them with in, interventions at increasing levels of intensity, and to try to accelerate their, their uh, level uh, or rate of learning. And that's where we said that it, that's, that special education is a service, not a place. It is within this continuum of instruction, programs, interventions, strategies, services, under the umbrella of general education. So that's the new mindset we basically called for. 
Yeah, and you called it. Yeah, it was a, a place to visit, not a place to live. Is that correct? That that that's right. It's it's the the the, the saying was a service, not a place. It's all too long. What happens is our prevailing model uh, of, uh, of of special education in the state of New Jersey and throughout throughout the country and internationally at times is to isolate special ed as a unique and special system that is a parallel or a bolt-on to general education. Uh, and what we're saying is that our, through our research and current research suggests that inclusive practice and integrated systems, coherent, high-quality, cost-effective uh, uh, core programs within the general ed environment uh, could be very, very successful and will be very successful. So the, the outcome is that we identify uh, the delivery models in special education that are getting us, as Michael said earlier, good outcomes, good results, and then the recommendations is to fund programs, services, and delivery models that, that mirror that. And, and then okay. and, and it's, it's to, to piggyback on what Jerry's saying, is if we can do that, if we can identify the child's needs and then accommodate that child in the general education situation, then we don't have to classify as many kids. There are a mm -hmm. lot of youngsters who struggle at a particular time in their educational academic life, but we now find teachers say, well, I can't, I can't accommodate, I can't change, I can't modify because they're not classified. So if we can take the need for the classification process out of the picture for the child who's just struggling and meet their needs and by accommodating, then what the whole task force thing says is it's a process. Take care of what the child's needs are, and then we save money and we, pro and we still provide a success model that the child needs. Uh, in reading through the recommendations, I also noticed, and we're talking to members of the New Jersey uh, School Board Association Task Force on Special Ed, uh, if, if you have a question for them, dial 1-347-989-8904 and press 1, and that will let me know that you have a question. Uh, Michael, maybe you can uh, talk about this. Um, one of the things I know is said in the recommendation with early inter intervention is that sometimes there are issues with minorities and other people and other uh, groups being overclassified, and that early intervention might uh, prevent that. Yeah, that's, that's right, Ray. Um, a lot of the research that we took a look at, a lot of the information that the board members and the administrators brought to the task force was to say, rather than being reactive to things, we're, we're looking for instruction, instruction in the general-led environment to become more preventive in practice. And, and in looking at um, models like RTI, response to intervention, and that is one model of a multi-tiered approach, rather than... Uh, and again, this is a sensitive point, and we did the rollout across the state. There were people that took some concern about it, but one of the questions that has come up repeatedly is, are, are students needlessly referred to special education because of deficiencies in the educational system? And a lot of the research, if not all of the research, on overclassification of minority students has said, maybe we're too quick to move a minority student into special ed because general ed doesn't work. The task force was looking at the, the literature and the research and saying, well, well, wait a minute now. Has anybody asked the question, you know, again, going back to are we being reactive or are we being preventive? Is it because of a poor reading instruction? 
or is it because of an extraordinary need on the student's learning profile? And, and that's, again, where we were trying to be thought provocative um, and, and getting people to ask you know, some uncomfortable questions because it's not about cost. You know, the board was very, uh, the task force was very sensitive that people would think, you know, if we pay less for something, we're going to get less. And that's why we were very clear to say, you know, we're talking about cost effectiveness and improving quality of instruction. So, uh, again, getting right back to your point, Ray, we are talking about better services in the general educa educational environment for all students, including our minority students. Um. Jerry, so I just want to emphasize the point, uh, I know, because I know it was in the task force uh, recommendation that sometimes we look at two educational systems, you know, it's bifurcated, a special ed system and then a yeah. general ed, and uh, one of the main themes of the, the task force is that there's one educational system. Correct. Yes, a, a clear, integrated, coherent system. What we said was, quote-unquote, the new vision defines special education as a continuum of interventions, programs, and services that any student receives in order to meet their unique needs. And uh, it sounds like common sense, but this is the new vision that we're promoting, that we need a new way of thinking about what we're doing and meeting the unique needs of children. You know, just to add on, we, what we also found what, to what Michael said was the uh, – the discrepancy formula, and rather than getting into a detailed analysis of discrepancy formulas, that what we found was children are being classified as learning disabled, uh, which is a high percentage of children, uh, differently in different districts at different times, mm -hmm. depending on, di on, on different analysis or diagnostics. Uh, so that's why one of our recommendations was also to move towards more uh, of a uh, standardized diagnostic system uh, because children identified in New, in New Jersey uh, use a different criteria at times than children that are maybe being identified in Connecticut, Alabama, South Carolina. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's the way it's, in, it's interpreted. Our focus is on, uh, as we said, that special education should be what special education was originally uh, formulated to be, special instruction, special instruction. So the perception needs to change. Uh, perception to, and practice, right. Uh, and you kind of alluded to it uh, as a, a more of a standardized uh, classification because it can differ from district to district. Even if districts are in a – maybe it's a K-8 district sending to a regional district, they might have different ways of classifying. You talk about this in the shared services. Shared services is a big recommendation that you have. I think there's like five of them. Um, do you look at that as a way to provide services and classification, or is it uh, just on cost savings? Well, what we looked at was we'd like to have a, a, a deeper conversation about this. Uh, you know, those professionals like, like Michael and Irene who are in special education, uh, you know, we, we need to look at what our options are. Uh, and one of the things we uh, suggested was a regionalized diagnostic model. Uh, regional child study teams would complete educational evaluations and give results to local education uh, agencies. This would provide LDTC, psychologists, social workers with more time to work with teachers and students at an instructional level in classrooms. Um, 
the, by placing these uh, particular functions, uh, you know, uh, we thought it would be uh, a better benefit to parents, teachers, and students. Other examples of, of uh, regional services would be, as we're doing now, personnel, transportation, professional development, technology, uh, preschools, of uh, uh, professional development when it comes to differentiated instruction, inclusionary practices, um, even uh, some of the things like independent evaluations uh, that, that a, a shared service model uh, might be able to uh, help in, in that manner also. Um, you know, well, economies of scale will improve right, um, programmatic processes. Irene, uh, I'll have, uh, Irene, uh, or, or Mike, but Irene, I'll, I'll let you go first. Don't we already have county uh, uh, systems that we could use, county uh, uh, special we do. services? We special do. services we have, districts. Yes, we, we do. We have three different models in New Jersey. We have, an Ed, we have the Ed Services Commission, we have the Jointures, and we have the um, special services districts. And each of those exists to provide services to the other districts, to the public school district in, the, um, in their ge geographic location. Unfortunately, not every district looks to those um, intermediate units as their, as their first line of defense, the first place to go for services. And mm -hmm. that's unfortunate because when the, these, these three agencies or groups of agencies exist by code simply to meet the needs of the districts. And, and the districts who look to the Ed Services Commission or the Special Services Com Districts to um, provide programs or to provide um, other forms of um, shared services, occupational, physical therapy, speech therapist, behaviorist, the, those districts save a lot of money because the, by, traditionally these agencies all provide services at a lower cost than a private uh, for-profit agency would be able to provide them. And they provide services to public schools. They're public, they are pub we are public entities. So therefore, um, there is a big benefit. In New York and Pennsylvania, North Carolina, they wouldn't think to go outside to a private agency before they went first to their intermediate unit. And that's the model that we would like to see promoted because we believe that public agencies providing services to the public school districts is the best way for all of us to accomplish you know, our mutual goals, which is the best education for kids at the, at the best price. So, Michael, what, we're, what the task force is kind of recommending, if I'm listening to you guys correct, is that we have some county systems and districts or local districts are sharing services, but we have to build on that. I, I agree, Ray. We are a state of many, many school districts, and uh, I, I don't think that could be overstated. And many districts operate on their own. They have their... They handle it within, and that's where a lot of the cost um, expenses rise. Uh, we don't often share very well, uh, though there has been an increase over the years between districts building um, programs and then having tuition students being brought in to be placed in other school districts. So, yeah, we do have an opportunity here to allow those school psychologists, learning disabilities teacher consultants, social workers, speech therapists, to be resources within the buildings. And as Jerry pointed out earlier, there's one system of education here. Uh, but oftentimes we have special education operating in isolation, not only within the school district, but within a school. So there is mm. an opportunity here for better sharing of resources. And again, there'll be a cost effectiveness associated with doing more 
perhaps with less because a lot of the research that we were looking at, and, and Jerry quoted um, Nathan Levinson in his, in his article on boosting the quality and efficiency of special education, he spoke about better and more effective use of our teachers and staffing. Um, and all around, this would be effective and helpful. Uh, Jerry, I, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit because one of the things that was mentioned both in the funding and also in the shared service is sometimes looking at uh, some of the services we provide as medical services for some of our students. Uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, the, the task force recommended uh, po possible adjustment to federal law so that the cost of some related services uh, regardless of where they're, they're provided to us uh, or to the children, are considered medical rather than educational. Uh, you know, there's that fine line, and sometimes there is a, a clear line of demarcation. Uh, the cost of related medical needs uh, basically takes away funds that could basically uh, be uh, applied towards instruction. And you're not talking about taking those medical services away, uh, but that may oh, not at all. by not other, at all. other areas. You know, it's a matter of who pays for it. Okay. Um, right. And if, Ray, if I could just jump in, because many people who are not familiar with special education budgets, we're talking about medical services like physical therapy, occupational mm -hmm. therapy, um, autism services, um, and there's an extensive array of services associated with that, speech ther ther services, articulation. Um, so those are those medical things where, as Jerry was saying, there's a, there's a gray line. It, it, who pays for these? And oftentimes it becomes the responsibility of the school district to deliver it in school to somehow facilitate learning. Right. Yeah. Which also takes away from instruction time. Correct. Exactly. Okay. And so it, it, it's medical. Um, uh, and John, uh, I'm going to yeah. switch gears again because I'm looking at my clock here. Um, we still have time. One of the things that was brought up was due process, uh, and uh, could you uh, talk about that issue a little bit? Because there was a change in the law, I think it was in 2007? Uh, right. Essentially what happened was um, the state uh, passed a law placing the burden uh, in special ed disputes always on the school district. And um, with regard to other kinds of legal disputes, in general, uh, the person who is seeking uh, a change is the one who has the burden uh, to bring forward information and evidence to um, a judge. Uh, however, with, in special ed, with the burden placed on the school district, what that means is that sometimes school districts find themselves in the position of having to essentially um, uh, show why their program is the most appropriate rather than, um, uh, as it was before 2007, the parent would have to uh, come forward and say uh, why the program was not appropriate. Uh, so what it does is it places a lot, of, uh, a lot more upfront work uh, on the part of the school district in terms of uh, justifying uh, their um, uh, decision-making um, with regard to uh, special ed students. Uh, and because of that uh, greater upfront work, um, it then leads to, uh, to greater cost for school districts. And 
the more money that uh, is spent in disputes is less money than that can actually go to special ed programming. Uh, in your survey, did uh, did some districts uh, cite the due process or the burden of proof or litigation as a, 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 a an issue with cost? Yes, 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 they did. And um, uh, I, as I had mentioned earlier, um, uh, there was about 38% of the districts surveyed um, uh, said that uh, the adjudication process was indeed something that um, needed to be uh, looked at and adjusted um, where, so that um, the burden could be placed back on uh, the party who was seeking the change uh, with regard to uh, the placement of the program uh, for the special ed students. Okay. While we're talking about money, and that's always a big issue in education, you have several uh, recommendations for this uh, the state to look at in terms of funding uh, edu uh, special education or education in general. Um, Jerry, do you want to touch on uh, some of the recommendations you had? Yes, uh, uh, yes, Ray. Uh, thanks. Uh, if you were to look through the 20 recommendations, recommendation nine basically was, uh, as I alluded to earlier, effective strategies. Uh, we want to improve student outcomes. And we want to determine what is adequate, fair, transparent, equitable funding. Uh, what we need to start doing is identifying resources, programs, and delivery systems that basically demonstrate high student performance. Uh, we also want to provide technical assistance and funding to promote the implementation of these delivery models. Uh, so. Uh, as Bruce Baker said to me, we need to dig deeper into understanding cost structures uh, that underlie these approaches. Then we can actually start talking more about funding. Uh, one of the other uh, recommendations is that we need reliable expenditure data. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when we look at budgets of school districts, it's very difficult to ascertain, uh, and, and I'm factoring out out-of-district placements, things like that, given that a large percentage of students, special needs students, are also included in regular classrooms for part of the day. It's very difficult to ascertain exactly how much is being spent because we don't have accurate coding of special ed expenditures. So one of the things we've recommended is that districts work with their auditors, and they uh, start working on district-level calculations of special ed costs. Uh, nowhere could we identify closely what the actual cost was, although there's a lot of numbers out there. Um, as you uh, mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about funding medical needs. We already talked about that. Uh, extraordinary special ed aid. Uh, that uh, the state, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, should ensure that, um, I'm losing my voice here. Yeah. Uh, Michael, Michael or Mike. Irene, could you take over for this? Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, I mean, there's talk about the, um, the medical needs. The extraordinary aid, the problem there is that the, um, there are certain children who have very high cost needs. And those children represent a minority of our special needs kids. The majority of our special needs kids are are not horribly expensive to educate. But some of our other children really need a lot of very extraordinary um, services. 
And in that case, um, back in 2000, they called for full excess costs of special education to be paid at the state level. And it represents, there were some changes in 2002, but in no way are these extraordinary costs borne. And if a district has just a couple of students who have these extraordinary needs um, due to their, to their specific, specifically severe disabilities, they are um, huge, huge budget impacts. And um, it really, these are burdens that should be equalized across the entire state, is what the task force is saying. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Irene. <laughs> it sounds like your voice is coming back. My, uh, my voice has, has come back. Yeah. The, the other thing, the other uh, component of funding recommendation uh, is, uh, well, one that's been clear for years. We've always been asking for the feds to improve. Uh, the percentage of what they pay under IDEA. Right. Uh, right. And that's been very, and, and very that's been a struggle for for a lot of years. You know that the federal uh, government should provide more there. But one of the other things is that uh, that everyone get a, a real thorough understanding of uh, funds that could be used now through Title One and IDEA to support supplemental literacy and math programs, Title One programs, Title Three. Uh, there's a lot out there uh, that we could do in order to improve reading uh, and uh, to improve uh, math uh, in more inclusive settings uh, through different funding mechanisms. And uh, if I may, gentlemen, throw in yep. something that we did talk about is that there is a funding stream for special education Medicaid initiatives. Mm -hmm. A lot of money yes. is left on the table. Um, that districts are not taking advantage of because of the excessive clerical responsibilities that come with having to make um, reports saying what services are being provided. And the option exists for school districts not to take advantage of the SEMI, for example, the SEMI model. So right. we were talking about other means of ga gathering those funds and putting them back in the hands of uh, school districts to effectuate better instruction. Yes, yeah, so right. one of the, uh, if I may add something yep. to that, Ray, uh, with Michael, uh, the, uh, and one of the things we recommended is that the department uh, and their consultants look at doing that at a county level uh, or uh, with some type of developing some type of consortia uh, so that we could have uh, one district or at the county level responsible for uh, putting uh, and doing the paperwork, whereas uh, we don't leave. I think it was $10 million was left on the table last year. Wow. That, that's, um, that's $10 million that could be put towards classroom practice. Uh, I'm going to bring this kind of full circle uh, because we could talk about funding in New Jersey education and special, not just special education, probably for about nine hours. Um, but one of the first, you know, and Irene and Michael brought it up early, was professional development for board members. But uh, I think tied to your entire philosophy was professional development, not just of board members, but of the educational community, teachers and administrators, um, that more people in the field have to understand special education. Is that correct? They have to understand special education, but they also have to understand that it's a continuum and that a lot of children need services for a period of time, but they don't need to be classified for their entire lives as special needs because those needs may be met. Jerry, Jerry pointed out, and certainly Michael is much more of an expert on response to intervention than I am, but that there are a lot of interventions that 
teachers need to know that it's okay to provide those accommodations and those interventions as they move along with gen ed students so that fewer and fewer children will have to be classified. If all kids read by, on grade level in the early elementary years, it's because teachers have the right, have significant instruction in how to teach, it, teach reading, we will eliminate one whole course of classified students. There's a lot that can be done in the general ed population, in the mainstream population, so that children don't need to be classified. And then the children who are classified need to be declassified when there's no longer a need for those special services. And that's okay. a great, and that brings it right around, Ray, to the title of our, our paper, which was a service, not a place. Because when you talk in terms of output or outcomes, how often do board members get the opportunity to ask the question about declassification? And that was one of Irene's you know, closing points because uh, regarding we don't talk about things like that. Um, and, and one other thing, the cost of due process is there's also a psychological emotional cost because it, it speaks of the distrust that arises when there's a dispute. So we also spent a lot of time within the task force talking about ways of improving the relationship among administrators and parents and advocates and attorneys and teachers because we believe there's you know, instead of working harder, there's, a, there's an element of working smarter here. Okay. Uh, Michael, I'm, I'm coming to the closing seconds. I'm running out of time for our program. Jerry, I'd like to thank you. Um, thank you, Ray, for having you. us. Michael and Irene, I'd like to join. Uh, thank you. And John Burns, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, for those uh, – th th there will be more in special education at New Jersey School Board Association's county meetings. This is not the end of the conversation, but probably the beginning. And uh, thank you for joining us. Have a good day. You too. Thank you, Ray. Bye. Thank you, Ray. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.